as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Kate Crosby, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Vance. So you are my out-of-work lesbian plant scientist friend from Sacramento, California. And uh, I, I don't really, I apologize that that's how I have to introduce you because the world should understand that I hold you in the absolute highest of esteem. You are somebody that as um, I have built the last year of my life, I have talked with you multiple times a week. Many times we ship each other articles and things that are going on. You push the boundaries of everything that I think about. And oftentimes I find that where I started from, I didn't realize how deep the field could be. And every time you bring me down to a deeper level and you don't embarrass me for for not understanding something and you are always open to my perspective. So I wanted to show start this by saying like you and I could be completely opposite on many, many things because what the old way of describing people based on their sexuality, based on their nationality, all these things, I think those are up for debate. What's going to happen in the future and how people identify themselves. So we should be having conversations with interesting people. And that is you, Kate Crosby. All right. (laughs) Thanks, fans. Yeah. Thanks for the introduction. And likewise, I mean, um, I suppose I'm always interested in diversity of thought. And you always push that. Um, And that's something I really appreciate. So let's start off by it is April 9th of 2020. Um, It is the Mm -hmm. late afternoon um, here in St. Louis. You're in Sacramento, California. Are you allowed to leave your house right now? Yes. Yeah. For essential activities. Um, I can go for a run, which I do most days. Um, I can go to a grocery store or whatever else is open. Um, you're supposed to practice social distancing, but there's not been too much, I suppose, brouhaha over it. Um, Sacramento is the capital of California though. So it tends to have a culture of rule followers. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting point. At this yeah. point right now, if a friend called up and said, hey, I'd like to stop by and we can hang out for a couple of hours, would you have them into your house? Um, the ten- So you're allowed to have gatherings of six people. That's, that's what uh, I've heard. I have also heard that there's been some conflict between local churches in the area. Um, and I think a couple of um, masses did get broken up but um masses so, six, so they were actually catholic churches i think one was i believe and there was a slavic church as well that continued to meet um even after and they had gone online but they continued to meet and that resulted in 71 cases of covid19 in the sacramento area yeah <laughs> i mean that's legit that's that's the choice that people are making it's, yeah it's an interesting yeah. How do you come it off is. on that? Because you have you're having to balance liberty, people, the First Amendment, people's right to gather and, and assemble, and um, and then you're also saying, hey, no, we're going to choose the health care of the workers. I mean, we that's the First Amendment is coming in conflict as far as my reading of it. Yeah, and I guess like healthcare workers are generally bound by the Hippocratic Oath of their doctors, so they have to treat people they can't refuse. Um, I don't know, though. It's so tough. It's 
it's really, really tough. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I come down on it, to be honest. Um, so I'm originally Canadian and that flavors a lot of my views, I think, but the United States is a totally different country culturally. Um, you say this a lot and that's something that surprises me because I, I think until I started traveling there, I used to think of Canada as America junior, you know, they were us, but just a little bit smaller. And, uh, that's not at all the way that you view the relationship between Canada and the U S no, Canada is very sparsely populated. It's a giant geographic area. Um, California is larger in population than an entire country. So that's kind of weird. Um, and I think density matters, right? Density is the market in some ways. And so when you have more people, you can have a larger market, um, when you have like places in places like Yukon territory where there's only about 35,000 people that live in an area that's like, I don't know, three times the size of Texas, you don't really have a market. You don't have much infrastructure. So the game is the government. So what you get are these kind of like rural communities that are pretty reliant on the government because the government is kind of the market. Um, so that's very different than the States, which has, I think, 327 million people with huge concentrations, like, and, and maybe, maybe that's a bad thing right now with COVID going around, right? We have like New York city, um, and you have places like the panhandle, um, of Texas, which are very sparsely populated. They're totally different, um. But and I there's think a overall, lot of people trying to yeah. make rules that go that blanket all the way over. And they say the way right. that uh, people right. are are operating where Jack Butcher is uh, up in New York City or where Jared McDaniel yeah. is down in the panhandle of Oklahoma. You're like, those are two totally different people having totally different lives, doing totally different yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there needs to be some sort of regulatory uh, patchwork happening at that level i mean that's why federated states model is supposed to be kind of good and kind of cool you can do all of these sorts of experiments um that's one of the reasons i find the states fascinating you've got 50 of them they're all different yeah and you guys have (laughs) how many provinces are there seven there's 10 10 and 10 and three territories yeah yep and what's the difference between a province and a territory a territory is really sparsely populated like there are more animals than there are people. Yep. Wow. And where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a pretty small province called Nova Scotia. It's on the far east coast. Um, it's a province of under a million people. We'll get there one day, maybe. Um, but that's where I grew up. Yep. And right now, if you wanted to go to Nova Scotia, what would, what would be required for you to get there right now? Uh, I can go. Um, it's, there are a few flights there, probably three connections. And then I would probably not be able to get back in the States. So the border is, um, closed, I guess, still, uh, if you're not a Canadian citizen and I think vice versa, I think it's some sort of uh, agreement that the two governments have to sort of limit the spread. Um, so if I go, it it would be pretty tough. Yeah. It's pretty much if you decide to cross over the border, you're not coming back. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yeah. And my folks are in, uh, on, at a place called Cape Breton Island, which is kind of the Northern part of that province. It's an Island. And, 
they they are elderly. They would be in an at-risk group. So kind of worried about them. But I'm also worried, like, they're not socializing. They're not going out as much to see folks. And um, I yeah, didn't I even consider the fact that you're, you're right. So the one elderly person that I look in on, I, you know, my dad's 78 years old. I guess he is elderly. I just don't think of him that way. But the 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 guy I know, Pete Scotese, is 100 years old. And he is getting constant interactions. People are calling him. He's writing letters. He's doing stuff. But for the people that didn't have relationships going into this yeah. home quarantine, they're completely isolated if they don't see a person bringing groceries or something by. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And uh, I think it's I think it's going to be tough on a lot of people. And I'm extremely worried. Like you had Julie Kelly on, and I kind of completely agree with her like i'm really worried about the non-linear growth and ui claims and what it's doing to the economy as well so UI claims it's what are a those? really oh uh sorry unemployment insurance claims right it's uh i think it's 16.6 million sorry this is in the states um and in canada i mean it's a similar story i think that that scares me like that scares me too and i don't know how? I am fascinated. Yeah. The, the other day I was I was having a socially distant uh, conversation with the neighbor and they basically were saying, gosh, it's so hectic being on or off. I just kind of wish that um, they just laid us off for the year. And I was like, I think that that is one of those things that you don't really know what you're saying. In the olden days, if you had uh, gotten laid off, you could go get another job because you wouldn't be competing with all these other people. But there is a very high likelihood that the number of jobs that come back online whenever we get back into society is way lower, and there just isn't something for people to do. And we've never seen that in society in this way. Yeah, I've, I think we've talked about it. And because I'm a biologist and, and gotten to egg afterward uh, from that training, think a lot about ecology. There's a lot of things that are similar to economics. And so it's kind of like a trophic cascade, right, where this, the whole system is sort of breaking. You're putting pressure on the smallest businesses, the smallest prey, and the biggest predator too. So it, it's just breaking down completely. Um, and, and that's really worrying. Um, Talk more happens, about this trophic system. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean? So how does that relate to what we're talking about? So I guess I'm talking about a food web. So you can think about, I don't know, you, you know, a wild food web or even one that's domesticated. So in the ocean we have um, top predators and you have kind of predators below them and then maybe predator slash omnivore before under them all the way down to something like eelgrass or, you know, tiny little um, invertebrates that get consumed. So what happens is you have a lot of the small stuff and you, ha you don't have a lot of the big stuff. Um, so like the S&P 500, let's just say those are the big, big companies, right? And then you've got companies kind of below them. You've got companies, smaller businesses below them, and they all kind of feed off each other in terms of monetary exchange, interest rates, whatever. <sighs> I don't think I've ever been more scared, actually, economically about a situation just thinking about it. I mean, it's fascinating in one regard, but when a trophic cascade happens in a food web, it, it's absolutely devastating, right? It wipes out the entire ecosystem. 
where do you go from there? I, but you I just skipped know. over like, a step. You just went to describing the yeah. system and then you saw where that was going if you explained the rest of it, but you didn't actually explain what the cascade is. So you've got this intertwined system. It's definitely in a pyramid shape. And the things at the bottom, while they seem right. so numerous that they could just never go away, that that system would always be there, now something has happened. Yeah. What's the type of thing that triggers that reaction? So we talk about it in terms of top-down versus bottom-up. I think in economics, we often call it trickle-down versus bottom-up. Um, so if you lose a top predator, then suddenly you've got a flourishing of a lot of the bottom, right? But then the bottom eats itself out of house and home because you've suddenly got a ton of numbers. In this case, what it seems to be, what seems to be happening is you're, you're culling the bottom off. And then, so, so you don't have customers maybe for those larger entities above and so they begin to starve and they die and so that's that's kind of what happens it's an interlinked system right i mean i think that people don't really have at least around when i look at facebook right now it is me dipping my cup <laughs> into um you know a primordial stew of ideas and uh, when i see people talking about uh the the time that they have off or what they're doing with their time or what they're buying I don't think they realize the sheer scope of the number of people getting laid off. Like in the city of, in the St. Louis area, it's 80,000 people that were doing restaurant jobs and scrubbing dishes and um, wa uh, picking up trash inside of the hotels and in, in all kinds of areas. And those people didn't have a lot of money. They didn't want to do those yeah. jobs because they were fun. They were doing them because they were getting the work done to get paid and that stuff is done. Yeah. 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 <sighs> 80,000? Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm and just... I think the thing that's interesting about this is my belief is what we should be doing now is talking about what are the conditions under which you can create um, an environment where people can flourish. Like, what yeah. is it that we want to do if, if the Overton window is breaking open and cities are going to have to make the choice on whether they come out of quarantine or not? When you open up that quarantine zone, what do you hope is the cultivated area that you've put there so the best things can grow? <sighs> well, I mean, so you're talking about outside of quarantine zones. I guess I would... I mean, this virus also kills people, right? It kills customers. It kills the market too. So first of all, you'd want, you'd absolutely want kind of antibody or serological testing to be available so that you can kind of somewhat guarantee safety, but that's going to take some time. Maybe you just allow states to kind of experiment differently and see how it goes and release their data to each other um, just to see how it's going. Similar density, because um, you know, one of the things yeah. that I think we aren't talking about is let's imagine that the government said, hey, you know what? It's cool. Everybody can go back. And people are like, mm, I don't want to go back. And exactly. Then, and, and because you've scared them so badly. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that coronavirus may be a baptism that people have to go through, a sort of metanoia. And I'm not saying that's a good yeah. thing. I don't want to go get it. It's a nasty disease. And most people that get it maybe don't have some terrible experience with it but you can you're throwing the dice but at the yeah. same time we've got to get to the other side of the chasm because we have to start yeah, working again 
I know. And so there's risk involved. So maybe you supplemented a little bit with, with, with money, like financial incentives to go back to work. Um, you sweeten the pot a little bit if you have any of that available. <laughs> which there, I don't know, what is it? Two trillion was the first stimulus. I mean, I've heard rumors that there's going to be another four to five trillion dollar stimulus package. Maybe some of that can go into small businesses in terms of, hey, take the risk, come on back to work. I mean, you there's going to have to be something done. And the, yeah. the, but the other problem that we have right now is that most of society does not understand supply and demand and how that those cross together to create price. I've already seen people complaining about uh, price gouging because their fancy coffee that they were getting shipped from Amazon once a month doubled in price. And the reason it doubled yeah. in price may be because these are the first people that uh, they're the only people to get that from. But if you knock it out, if you start saying, hey, you're not allowed to raise your prices, we're going to have shortages again because people will hoard based on money as opposed to how valuable is that thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Um, so we were talking about this a little bit yesterday. Um, it is interesting. I mean... It, it, it actually makes me quite nervous. I, and I think we were discussing this earlier. Like if there's not enough supply of certain necessities, what kind of happens to the whole system? Um, but people do kind of have to get back to work and so and, and kind of up the supply to keep prices down because there isn't an endless supply of money. People don't have jobs right now. So how would they pay for something? Yeah. And the first week or so yeah. you're locked up because you're stocked up on food and you got to eat good, fun food. But then you realize, wait a second, this isn't like the snow days where after the trucks come and, and plow stuff away and we got a day off. The truck's not coming. It could be beautiful outside or it could be hot as hell. And you get this all the way to summer in the city of St. Louis yeah, and you yeah. make it so people can't leave their houses. Now it's not, you're not making a joke anymore about how essential it is that HVAC guys can keep air conditionings going, right? Like yeah, getting people to be able to be at the point where they can leave their homes gives us resiliency, but you don't want to go too early. You don't want to go too early and take out the market or take out a large portion of the market either. Um, I'm sure there will be a ton of papers and economic research on this afterwards and game theory matrices that come out. It'll be interesting to see. Um, and I don't know what the cost is of keeping someone at home sort of isolated, not spending money for a certain period of time, but I'm sure there'll be estimates at some point. And it's tough to weigh against what could take out a lot of people. Well, I mean, I don't well, know what the- You know what I was thinking about yeah. this morning? I was thinking about, um, I wonder if I shouldn't buy another Teflon skillet. You know, like, because Teflon skillets are probably not that valuable. And if you start having uh, to fill the demand that we've shut off for a while, so the market comes back on, only the most valuable cargo is getting on those boats. Whoever is willing to pay the most to to get their stuff shipped, and it might be a while before Teflon skillets get to that point. Maybe I should buy one. Is this yeah like weird prepper thinking, or is this smart thinking? At what like how would you evaluate my my like oh should I get another skillet? Well, first of all, I would never get a Teflon skillet. I'd get an iron skillet. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> they, they, they last a lot longer. But, fair but enough. Yeah, Good we'll point. Just, You're right. We'll, we'll use that. Um, I don't know. I, 
I don't think it's silly. I mean, if it's a necessity for you and you know you're going to get a lot of utility out of it, buy it now. Buy it now because your your money is is going to be worth less tomorrow. I mean, buy it and and supplies going down. Buy it now. Yeah, if you if you think you're going to use it, buy it. Yeah, you know that's that's an interesting point here, right? Like because you have to balance between like the the rushing to go do things and to be like, hey, we don't we don't know, you know, we, you know, everybody go out and panic and and uh, and on the other hand the people that do react first are the ones that get the biggest benefit from reacting that way. Yeah. And, yeah. And so that's an interesting, it's, it's um, at this point, real news or real information about what's going on is probably more valuable than the news has ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Where do you get well your said. news? Where do I get my news? Um, so I, I think we've had this discussion before. Um, Canada still has a Fair Standards Act, so I typically read CBC. But for the most part, I think we've talked about the concept of a whale pod, which is a group of friends sort of like-minded in different places, and we discuss different things. I shouldn't say like-minded. We're diverse thinkers. Uh, but also within the locality, like I definitely have um, a, a bunch of friends and family that I can turn to and rely on for certain things. Um, so I get my news from Twitter also. Um, I think it's quicker. I think it's a lot more local um, to the area. And I find it really tough with U.S. news, to be quite honest. Like, I have to read the New York Times. I have to read the Wall Street Journal. I have to read the National Review and Fox News to get even a remote idea of what's going on. And they're just like, forgive the term, but it's bullshit theater. Oh, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's I, just I, bullshit theater. I, that's, that's the yeah. craziest thing. My wife yeah. never has been interested in the news at all, does not care about it at all coronavirus she was watching it to be like how is this going to impact my business what's the right decision now she has taken to being like when donald trump gets on stage no matter how you feel about him he's doing things that are so unbelievable that you can't believe it and i realized this morning that he's wwf wrestling yeah. and all the reporters are playing the same game because everybody's got free attention. Not everybody. There's yeah. a group of, there's a class of people that have attention. And what they're paying attention to is the equivalent to WWE. And they're sitting laughing at how dumb the other guys are. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it does feel, it does feel like WWE, which can be kind of fun, right? Like it's, it's kind of, whoa, like this is a, this is a trip. This is a total like dark comedy or like, I don't know. It's almost like opera or, or theater, but at a certain point, it, it kind of gets, uh, I guess, a little tired. And maybe. I think that's why your whale pod idea actually. So I've always been a person that loves making connections. I love meeting people, finding out what's going on with them. And I've always been kind of like, Hey, you should meet this other person over here. But now that desire has become supercharged because once you taught me the idea of like, hey, you can get a lot more um, safety if your whales can communicate across vast distances. 
and you're yeah. saying, hey, what are you seeing? How are you thinking about this? Because you get to move past the whatever the Overton window is that the ma mass media is paying attention to. You get to get outside there and start looking at yeah. new things. And I like the idea of the Overton window. But one thing I think I dislike about it is it's only along one axis, right? And we talked a little bit about this, where if you picture like a bell curve, right, where you have like the 90th percentile and the zero percentile, well, like with the Overton window, you've got so-called left and so-called right. And I don't fit that. Sorry, I don't. <laughs> so I kind of, I would see it more as like two normal distributions crossing each other or two Overton windows crossing each other along different axes. Um and it's sorry, I'm. Oh, that's really interesting. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that the yeah. Overton window is uh, three dimensional, right? Because you and I worked on making it two dimensional at least, right? Like adding yeah. in another feature to uh, how ideas spread into society or how far they, they stretch out. But by adding yeah. another dimension, you're saying it's not just left, right, authoritarian, and, uh, um, you know, anarchic. Like it's something different. It is. And the, I think the frustrating part about, and I'm not a U.S. citizen, so I cannot vote, but there are only two parties here. So basically you have to choose your poison. You kind of have to take all that multivariate thinking into account and choose one. And I found it interesting as well because the U.S. generally votes against things. It doesn't really vote for things, like for a candidate. I, I think they vote against a lot. I, I, I really think that. Wow. <laughs> you know, and it's it's because there's too much political liability to champion something. I wonder if that's not true of all uh, bureaucratic um, uh, things, right? Like, because here there are people right. that think they're being for something. They think they're being for the environment. So let's shut those other guys down. Or the, the other side, the farmers being like, I think that I'm on the right side of this is how you should grow crops. Make a law that says they can't change the laws. Right. Like we have that. So people yeah. do believe that they're fighting yeah. for things. Yeah. But you should maybe just choose your battles on a case by case basis. I don't know. And then sum them together and see where you fall. I, I move a lot and I've moved around a lot. Um, so that's definitely changed my perspective as well as to where I fall. Um, yeah. I was very different in Canada than I am here. And I what? think if I Wait. Well, what what is Canada doing to solve the coronavirus problem right now? Uh, it's similar to the U.S. It's social distancing. Um, and in some cases, it's more extreme. So in the province uh, where I grew up, Nova Scotia, the premier has basically come up with, the premier is like a governor. Um, so a state's governor has basically said, um, stay the blazes home. <laughs> and that's the actual quote. Um and people are largely, so Nova Scotia has a large elderly population, but it's also issuing tickets for violations, which has not happened at all in California that I know of as of yet. Um, somebody can correct me if that's the case, but no, they are very much cracking down on even having seen three people on a sidewalk together, which I still see here. No, nope, not okay. They issue a ticket for that. Um, wow. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I mean, they're trying to preserve the market. They only got 965,000 people. They got to keep, <laughs> keep people alive or there won't be any taxpayers to sort of fund everything. Yeah. I mean, it's tough margins, right? 
people are a resource in Canada, I guess is how I would treat it because there's so few of them. So, um, what, what is your picture for the length of time before you're able to convince people to come out of their homes? Oh, I, I, that depends on your, your risk perception. Um, I would think if you're pretty risky, you'd go out right now. Um, but the timeline, I mean, I think if you're in, I like the concept of what Razib was telling you the other day. So Razib Khan talking about red zones, green zones, yellow zones. Um, I think you could probably have a certain level of testing in an area um, where there hasn't been a lot of cases and just say, hey, this looks okay. Go on out. But yeah, like how you do you don't even know. Somebody? Like you don't even I like know. regular people right now are not. They're <laughs> saying there is no way that we are going to be looking at the CBS nightly news and having them show where the different, uh, you know, yeah. ratings are of of red or green zone. But that's what you're proposing. That's where you think we will get to. I think that. I mean. Hmm. <sighs> Yeah, no, the states won't get there. No, no way. They'll, <laughs> they'll be civil unrest. I think if you restrict movement, it's it's really tough. Um, I mean, do, this is where you come yeah. into the conflict. In, in the United States, if you go out and talk to the people in the countryside, they're like, we'll follow your rules because we have to. We'll follow your rules. But they also say, you know, if, if the shit hits the fan, that's what they always yeah. talk about. If the shit hits the fan, how are they going to stop me from doing X, Y, or Z? Because you would have to cover you know, huge amounts of terrain. And it's something that farmers or people in the ag world think about how will they yeah. protect themselves? And if the, if it gets to the point where we really genuinely need places where you can work and places where people don't want the people from that area, we are going to have borders in some regard. Yeah. I don't really want to think about that. You're scaring me, man. <laughs> so, but yeah, it is a scary time. eh? Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think not only, so I think I've said this too, when nonlinear growth is involved in anything, I get really scared um, because it's so unpredictable. I mean, and, and, and I think I've heard people take um, the nonlinear growth models of this virus not very seriously and treat it arithmetically. So what I mean is, oh, well, the model said this yesterday, so it must be this. But what they don't understand is it's similar to like a stock price or growth or decay. Like if we knew where a stock was gonna go the next day, we'd all be rich, like we would be. So I, I have difficulty kind of ascribing predictions to anything nonlinear. And, and most of our fields do too, so even AI and artificial intelligence, like nonlinear is extremely hard to predict unless it's regular, like sinusoidal or, or like, a, like a logistic function. But this isn't, I mean, eventually it, could, it will hit, you know, like the upper limit, it could kill everyone. But I, I just really don't want to think about that. Well, it's um, interesting. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. And and one of the things yeah. that I don't hear people asking the president during the opera theater, which is when you level off, when you get that R to be one, right, or around one, meaning when the number yeah. of people that I infect is down to one. Right now it's like four, or some people think it's two. 
but uh when it gets down below one then the the odds that you'll get it go down pretty dramatically we right. have not been talking about that point we've been talking about just slowing the growth are you certain we will yeah. slow the growth is the curve going to be blunted I don't think it is going to be blunted in certain areas. And I think it's going to stick around until there's a vaccine. And I do think it'll become endemic. Um, you know, it's going to become like a regular occurrence in certain areas. And it will continue to have mortality in certain seasons. And we don't even know if it will go away in the summer. I sure hope it does. I mean, I'm optimistic about that, but I'm... Does that mean some places will not... be the equivalent of being, like, uh, radioactive then? Like, you know, that, that if you go down to Louisiana, <laughs> they have such a high population of it that, you know, you're definitely going to get it. Yeah, and I mean, New York is the same way. So I think in terms of behavior in cities, and and I think this permanently changes how close we are to strangers. I mean, forget hugs, forget handshakes, Um it's sad to say, because I like hugs and handshakes. No man, one is but, saying but, that. Everyone has had the assumption yeah. that eventually this thing will go away, just like Spanish flu or smallpox. Like, I think that's basically everyone's assumption. Oh, oh I think it will. So, so forgive me for saying, uh, I think it will eventually become somewhat em endemic like the flu. Um, and I think there will be enough. I'm hoping there will be enough immunity, although some research just got released where it looks like you can be reinfected with it. So it's tough right now, right? Like it's tough to make predictions. I'm I'm trying not to to make them. Um, you're forcing kind of a data scientist to make predictions, and I'm like, no. Okay, so so um, beyond just your emotion about sorry. it, and your no, no, I mean, yeah. I think your emotion is is uh, it's uncharacteristic, right? So normally when I talk to you, you are very, very, very level, and it's it's actually kind of fun to see you get excited. Although I have to say, the excitement seems like you know, are you my friend pulling me over to the uh, to the oh god, everything's going terrible abyss, and my family oh. when and I'm I'm telling you this because it's important. Because my family, uh, not my wife, my wife and my in-laws, they were very on board with uh, me saying, hey, this is serious. And my brother, because we talk regularly, and, and one of my other siblings was like, hey, when I started bringing up that coronavirus was serious, and you warned me over two weeks before I, I started paying attention to it. But everybody else was like, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Like, don't worry yeah. about it. And, and have been reacting a step uh, behind every time. And I think that this is different because they may be right and everything will go back to normal and I will have done all these efforts and spent all this time thinking about it. But the problem yeah. is if you're wrong, you could get hit in a really bad way. Yeah, yeah. So it's really going to, I suppose it tests our risk tolerance. Um, yeah, um, it is one of those things where risk reward kind of features so heavily in the front of your mind. And, um, right now a lot of people are losing a great deal of, um, I would say social connections, livelihood. It's probably their health down in other ways as well. Um, so that's, that's sort of the downside by sort of staying inside and, and protecting oneself. Um, 
you're possibly protecting others, but you're also maybe not. You're not thriving. Um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're not. You're not thriving. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I know, my whale pod is what keeps me working out, right? I, like I send a video yeah. to different friends when I'm done working out to be like, hey, what's up? I got mine done and I want to see somebody else's. And you see your whale pod getting stuff done, running hills, lifting right. weights. Because if it is a corona baptism that you got to go through, you want to be as strong as possible for it. Yeah. I mean, you do. And I think um... – <sighs> You do want your kind of immune system at peak function, um, if you can manipulate that at all. I mean, somewhat you're some you're somewhat genetically predisposed, and as you get older, your immune system gets weaker anyway. Um, Let's talk about the genetic is, predispositions. Yeah. What who's who's looking to get it lighter now, and who's looking harder? Do you, do we have that level of granularity? I mean, there's some preprints out there. So preprints are journal articles that haven't been peer reviewed yet. Um, there's some that suggest that uh, certain blood types um, with certain antigens are more susceptible. Um, so I believe it's I believe it's A. Don't quote me on that. I'd have to go back and look. But if you're O positive or negative, you're less susceptible. I think that needs Boom. to be probably validated. All right. Good news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I I think it's more the age demographic and the the sex demographic that that is particularly striking right so if you're male you're more likely to die anyway but you're more likely to die of this too um well and, and that's because old. it hijacks your immune system and it there's they're yeah. starting to come up with the hypothesis that men's immune systems are much more trigger happy and when they get pulled they they go in further and so therefore some of the diseases that work like this specific coronavirus is causing that that's just what i heard Yeah. I mean, women's immune system is, I thought, we're, we're typically um, kind of more act, overactive. So that's why you get a lot of autoimmune diseases in females, right? Like MS. Oh. Um, in general, because they're the sex that gets pregnant and also because they have a, a second copy of uh, genes on the second act. So, so, so we, maybe it's yeah. that the males, when it finally does get going, it really kicks into high gear. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to come up with a conclusion I already want. I, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I think there's a lot to learn about, uh, coronaviruses and, um, uh, I'm sure this isn't the last one we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I think there'll be, I think we'll be seeing them again. Um, and so, um, what are you doing with your time, uh, as coronavirus has been going on? Uh, I've mostly been working. So, uh, I was originally a, a while back, I suppose, a plant geneticist, and I've been mostly fascinated by manipulations of light. So um, both supplemental, so that would be things like LEDs or um, HPS lights, full spectrum, um, or just the sun itself, and manipulating that to get um, different floral architecture a variety of crops so what does that mean that's a very cryptic way to say <laughs> that that's like you can only understand this if you know my riddle um basically i i really enjoy the the idea of trying to make plants grow faster um so as a geneticist we look at how can we make the highest yielding plants um, and, and we typically operate in a harvest window so for corn it'll it'll vary between 
five days to relative maturity, that's in the kernel, right? Uh, and it's ready for harvest. So that's up north in Canada and then all the way down to like Texas and then even further down in like Brazil, that time goes way out. So it'll be like 120 RM, 120 RM relative maturity days to when it's ready to be harvested. So we go 65, 120 down to the tropics. It's about 135, 145 for those That's genetics. how many growing days they have in a given year? Oh, uh, that's to reach black layer. So then there's a phase called dry down, which is where the corn kind of stands there and dries down. Uh, and then you go out and harvest it. And so that that window also adds some days and it depends where you are. It depends on what you spray on it. Um, but typically the more north you are because winter's coming, that's got to be shorter. Like if you're Canadian, yeah, in October, yeah, there's ice rinks in Saskatchewan. So it's <laughs> you got to be done, right? So those plants have to grow faster. Um, and that's where you get longer days in the summer as well. Um, so you can trick a plant into thinking a day is shorter. Certain plants like soy respond to light cues. So that shortens up their window. They'll be like, oh, I can't put out leaves anymore. Winter's coming, uh, to quote Game of Thrones. And then they just, they start putting out pods if you shorten the day artificially by shading them or by, uh, blacking them out. Wow. Who is yeah. doing this right now? Well, I mean, it's it's well it's well known in soy, very well known in soy uh, as an effect. That's why we have different soy maturity groups. Um, I mean, we've known for the longest time that as you move north, you have to have a different timing window. My idea and what I like thinking about is how fast can we make that window? Can we make it super super fast? by tricking certain plants with certain types of light regimes. Um, and it turns out in California, because we get a lot of good sun, uh, you can do a lot of fun stuff with a lot of different crops. So I'll just leave it there. Okay. So you are working <laughs> on uh, fun and exciting things with light. Um, how else are you spending your time? What are you doing as far as keeping in shape? What are you doing as far as your measures to protect yourself? So if you've got your scientific mind, what, what else are you doing? Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm out for runs most days cause we can still do that. Um, I'm training for a marathon, which will probably be canceled. It's in Berlin. Um, I, I don't think we'll be going to Berlin in September. Um, but maybe, and so I keep doing that and that's helpful. Um, also just, just kind of working on some fermentation things, which has been kind of fun. Um, so kvass, which is like a rye bread and some sourdough starter, uh, and raisins, it kind of tastes malty. It's, it's low alcohol. Um, but that's kind of fun. I mean, fancy, I, I guess I'm a big hippie too. <laughs> I like free markets, but I also like fermentation. Yeah. You <laughs> are a I total say? weirdo. I, I mean, like, and I know this world and it, there's such yeah. a strong pull for like for me, because last year I grew tomatoes. I, I, uh, I sent off for some Klee tomatoes. They're from this uh, special lab in, at the University of Florida. And they were great. I loved them. But then this year I started being like, hey, I like that planting. It was pretty good. It uh, didn't take that much work. And I was really proud of it. Now might be a good year to do a raised bed garden. So I've got wood here. And I'm, I've got a backyard where I can protect it from the deer. 
I'm excited about it, but I got to say I'm actually pretty intimidated. And the intimidation comes from knowing that it's complicated and I won't do it right the first time. And then two, it's work, right? You got to get your ass out of your chair and go out there and do it. And it's one thing to have the energy to do it in the beginning, but what happens in the middle of July? And so I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking through this stuff and I'm saying, I'm going to do it. Uh, but you are a plant extraordinaire. What should I be thinking about? How can I tackle this without taking off more than I can chew? Oh, I mean, uh, I would say like get started early and monitor daily. I mean, it's kind of boring to do it, but, um, if you can hook up an irrigation system, that helps a lot. Um, they're pretty easy to install. Um, and you can have, you can put it on your phone, like as a uh, Bluetooth kind of command and just be like water now. Really? Uh, you need to, yeah. Where would I yeah. order that from? Tell me about that. Amazon. <laughs> well, now <laughs> okay, I got to find it before they quit, before they quit send, right. uh, sending those kinds of things. Well, right. Put the, send me a link to one of those and I'll throw it up in the show notes. For sure. For sure. And you just order, get the parts from Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, but yeah, you can definitely hook that up pretty easily. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier. And if you're really into fertigation, which is attaching fertilizer, you, you can do that too. And uh, what do you think about like getting out and testing my soil pH and all of that stuff? Do I need to be so worried about that level of granularity? I mean, for me, I you, if you're just like, if you don't want to spend money, just watch the leaves. Um, so I typically watch the leaves to see if they turn yellowish or if they're purple. Um, and if they stay nice and green, I'm normally pretty happy. Um, you can get something called an EC meter. So that's electric electrical conductivity. And so you can kind of look and see if the soil is really charged. Uh, and that what does that with. mean? Tell me about that. <laughs> if it's low, lower pH, that's generally good for most plants. Most plants like to be slightly in slightly acidic soil. It's also when the ions are free to kind of get into the get into the plant. Um, if it's neutral, you're probably overwatering a ton. So don't overwater. Um, I like to grow stuff. Overwatering is a real thing. Cause I've been going in there every day. I spray them down and okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, it is. Just lift the pot. I mean, if you want to be low tech about it, if you, if you've got them in pots, just lift the pot. If the pot is heavy, you're watering it too much probably. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Sounds like you got them in pots now. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I started there, we're going from seeds and if I, if I'm going to probably go buy some seedlings, uh, there's a, there's a pickup, uh, no contact pickup at the local nursery. And, uh, but I'm going to try and get the ones going from seeds because I think there's value in learning that, although they're all F1 hybrids. So it's not like I can save the seeds and grow them next year. Uh, you could try, but I mean, sometimes you'll find one that's just really good. That's you true. Never know. That's true. Yeah, yeah you never know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Kate, what does the world look like in two weeks? Oh my God! I just told you I'm not making predictions. Um, uh, I think I think you'll see a return to work in some areas because I think. Potentially, there's there is going to be some level of know the state. You just broke up there. You just broke up there. Did you say you continue so to keep people at home? You you just broke up there. Oh. So say that again. So from uh, two weeks from today. Yeah. 
I think there will be some some lifting as soon as you see leveling off in the curve. I think there will be some lifting of restrictions. I think otherwise you get civil unrest. The risk is, of course, if if people go back to work and there's a resurgence, you get civil unrest too. But I think Americans are risky. That's kind of why I like them. So they're probably gonna <laughs> they're probably gonna lift restrictions in at least some states and areas. Yeah. Okay. That's my that's my prediction. Yeah. Well, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I uh, I'm so glad you agreed to do this. Just for full disclosure, I just hit Kate like I don't know a couple hours ago and was like, "Hey, let's just let's do an interview. Let's let's finally do this because you and I were planning to have a conversation when I came out. The California Farm Bureau had invited me to come out to give a talk, and you That's and I right. were going to meet up and do a podcast in person. We've been talking about it for months because up until yeah. coronavirus. I didn't really do it digitally. And now I'm starting to realize like I uh, this is a great medium. And I'm glad that my, I've been able to keep up my friendships by going digital. And you've been uh, we've actually gotten closer, I think, because of, of uh, coronavirus, just like I am with Lyle Benjamin and Ben Anderson. Right. Like, yeah, you, you see these people and you get to get on a video call and it makes a real difference for how well you connect with them. So thanks for. Yeah not only doing this, but being on the podcast. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great. All right. Thanks.